Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 283, Distribution and Your Board Game. Presented by Scott Morris and Mike Peschel. I'm going to let him pronounce his last name because everybody <laughs> in the industry slaughters it. We're here yeah. for a panel on board game distribution and your game. Uh, this is the sexy part of the business, the side that everybody wants to be involved with, the side that everyone has all the flash and, and fun. But we're here to talk about a lot of interesting things today. So we really do appreciate you joining. Um, I want to start by giving a little bit of background as to kind of who we are and what we do in the industry. A lot of people may know us or may have seen us from time to time at shows or interacted with us already if you are uh, already a current designer in the industry or a publisher in the industry. But uh, I think it's always good to kind of set expectations so you know a little bit about us. So Mike P, if you will take the microphone, it's all you, my friend. Introduce yourself. Yeah, hi. Uh, it's Mike Pascal. It, it, people say Paschal, Pascal, Pasquale, I've heard. I don't know how they got – yeah, I don't know how they got there. Uh, but Mike Pascal, I work for – I'm the buyer for Peach State Hobby Distribution. I handle all of our marketing as well and a lot of business direction. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just – I buy games. Basically, I am Tom Hanks in the movie Big. Play with toys. <laughs> play with toys. Tell people if they're good. And I tell someone to buy a bunch of them or not. And all you do is play games all day long, which is one of the first myths we'll probably have to break down, right? Yeah. Yeah, if that game is called Excel, yeah. That's, that's right. The, yeah, yeah, that's the game I play all day long. And Mike, how long have you been in the industry? Um, in, in one form or another since I was eight years old. Wow. Uh, so I, yeah, I've been, I started um, doing painting models for stores early on. Just like, there's this kid in the store, give him something to do. And then I got pretty good at it. So I started painting demo sets for stores all around the area. For summer jobs then i started doing summer jobs um then i had a bit of an inheritance i bought into a store when i was 15 so from 15 to 18 was my first shop and i uh, took a bit of a hiatus for a little bit then i had two other stores after that um and now i'm buyer at distro so in some form of fashion i've been in the industry since since i was eight years old um that's awesome that's all yeah, that's amazing. Um, so I have, I was not eight years old. I was about 16 or 17 <laughs> when I first got, got my first taste of it. Um, I very much like Mike, I have a pretty diverse background. So I have uh, designed games, I've designed games for Upper Deck. I have run a retail store. I have run multiple publishers. I used to be vice president of Arcade Wonders. Uh, during the heydays of Sheriff in Nottingham when that was a craze, uh, which was very fun. Uh, and then I was president of Passport Game Studios, which you may not know off the top of your head, but you probably know several of the games that we worked with, uh, specifically Takedo being one of the biggest ones. Um, and now I'm on the distribution side. Um, similar but different to Mike, uh, I do talk to partners about buying games and bringing games into distribution. Um, we're just set up a little differently in our company in GTS. And what my main role is, I'm the partner manager. So I'm the person that gets to talk to the publishers, gets to learn about the games just like Mike does. Um, and then I make recommendations back to our sales and marketing staff and uh, kind of get the magic to happen, so to speak. So uh, much like Mike, I play one game all day long and it's Excel. <laughs> it's, it seems mm -hmm. to be 24-7. Um, in fact, one of the best comments I ever had in my life was being picked up by an Uber. And when she asked me what I did and I told her, she said, hmm, so you just deal with shipping containers and Excel sheets all day long. And I went, yeah, that, that's exactly yep. what I do. You're my that's spirit. It. Thank you. So that's yep. kind of that's it. Um, so one thing I want to get out of the way, just to make sure everybody knows. So we're not here to commit to distribute anything today, but at the same time, we're not not here to commit to distribute anything today. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The distribution business as a whole, especially in the United States where we are, is a little crazy. Uh, Mike and I do work for two different companies. So I work for GTS Distribution. Mike works for Peach State Hobby Distribution. 
Um, there are several distributors in the United States, and it's uh, kind of crazy. They, a lot of people we were just talking about before we started the panel, a lot of people in the industry will use terminology that we think is just second nature, like because we've been in it so yeah. long and we know it so much. And there's a lot of people who continuously are entering the hobby new for the first time. Uh, there's a lot of new to me moments for them. And we just kind of wanted to run through some things. So one of the first things we wanted to talk about is just kind of what is distribution and what is this mythological three-tier system that we hear people talk about all the time? Um, so one of the things that I want to make sure everyone understands is that you'll hear that term three-tier system a lot, uh, whether you're talking to us, whether you're talking to a publisher, whether you are a publisher, talking to other distributors, anything like that. Um, the biggest thing that you'll hear from a three-tier system is publisher to distributor to retailer. That's the three tiers. So a publisher makes a game, they sell that to a distributor, the distributor then distributes that to their retailers, and then the retailer goes on and, and sells product. Um, that seems really easy, but the reality of the situation is it's really a five-tier system. And nobody ever wants yeah. to talk about this or even dig into it, but it's really manufacturer to publisher to distributor to retailer to consumer. And the reason I make that distinction is both the bookends on that five-tier system, the manufacturer and the consumer, are super important. They're very, very important to the ecosystem, especially today in the current world we're living in with COVID restrictions and different things in different locales, right? You could be in different states in the United States and have different things that you can and can't do. You can be in different countries and have different things you can and can't do. So that's added a lot more stress to things, which is very interesting. Um, but when I say manufacturer and publisher, one of the things that I wanted to make sure was a very distinct difference. So a publisher is someone like an Alderac Entertainment Group or a Plan B Games or a Yellow Games. They're the publishers who either find the designers or sign the rights to a game and they want to actually manufacture and make that game to sell. To actually manufacture a game, you need people like Ludotic or What's Games or Ludopact and things like that that are Chinese, German, Poland, different manufacturers around the, the world uh, to actually physically make that game and pack it and put it into a box and ship it off in cases. Um, and those relationships are not usually the same in our industry. Very rarely is the publisher the manufacturer. There are some very fringe cases where a publisher... Yeah a manufacturer, but it's very, very slim. They're usually a third-party manufacturer they're working with. Um, Mike, what, what kind of input do you have around the three-tier system? I know you've been around it quite a bit. So, so yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of right with it. I mean, you're not kind of right. You are right. with a, It's really a five-tier <laughs> system, right? You can't – I don't think about products in the mindset of, like, just going to um, – uh, just to retailers, right? Like, obviously, I can't think – like, I have to have the mindset of, like, what's an end consumer going to want? Um, I do take in, I don't, we distribution, we don't really deal with manufacturers that often, right. uh, was where we are. It's a pretty hard separate line between us and them, but I do, I watch them. I make sure we're, we're current on, I'm current on like who's doing what in terms of manufacturing. Like if this manufacturer is just dropping the ball on, um, you know, making boxes, for example, or I'm really having a high amount of damage from somebody, there's that. So now I'm getting into the minutiae of things, which I tend to do. But in terms of the three-tier system, or the three-tier, five-tier system, and you kind of nailed it. Um, it's important. It's a very important thing. It's uh, the, the majority of products that get manufactured, the vast, vast, vast majority of game products that get manufactured go through that entire process, right? Um, some You'll see some of the Kickstarter numbers, and they're huge and massive, but that's still like low double-digit percentages of annual sales. And then once you start counting lifetime sales that's like single digit percentages of, of mm -hmm. that product because once you make it and you've got those molds and you've got those die cuts every print run you do from there on out is profit right like you're not you're no longer paying for those those build-up costs so the the plan to go through all three tiers is the, is the long game yeah you should hopefully your first printing you make the profit uh, yeah. to uh, cover your costs on that stuff. That's okay. Everything is on time and under budget in this industry. So it's really easy, right? <laughs> so especially this year, everything's been right on right on the money. Yes. <laughs> 2020 has been a, a year of being agile and being creative for lack of a better phrase right now. So yeah. um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, you know, distributors are smack dab in the middle of both of those ecospheres. Whether you look at it as a three-tier system or whether you look at it as a five-tier system, we are the people dead smack dab in the middle. And like Mike said, for the most part, 
we generally as distributors, we kind of monitor the manufacturers, monitor the consumers. Um, one of the biggest things, and I know Mike is really, really good at this. One of the biggest things I feel that we have an opportunity to do with the publishing partners we work with is provide them information that we see in a bigger scope and a bigger picture. Yeah. You know, a lot of people yeah. will come to us with games way in advance. Um, one of the biggest challenges I have personally in my life is while I'm a fanboy and I love this industry and I love board games and creating, I'll see a game today that I may love. In fact, just this morning, I got sent a little drawing on like a paper napkin of, <laughs> hey, we're about doing this with this big name designer. And it was like hieroglyphs. It was just, you know, symbols and shapes and that was it. And they're like, what do you think of this idea? And we'll get rid into things way in advance of the actual product being a physical box and being on shelves. So a big challenge is, you know, kind of remembering that things are new to the consumer while they're not new to us, right? So we have to kind of yeah. balance a lot of that. And we get to give that feedback to the publishers and let them know, you know, hey, this is what we're seeing as trends in the industry, right? These are, you know, certain types of games that we're seeing a lot more of or a lot less of or a lot less yeah. demand of. and things Or like just a, or a price point or just this type of artwork is not doing well or this color majority on a box cover is turning people off, you know, there's... There's all kinds of weird trends that you see across products. And I, I use the term products a lot because mm -hmm. that that's what they are, right? They're products to me at this at this point. There's some things that are no longer really games, they're products. And that's how I view the whole thing. Um, but you'll you'll see these trends and not just what the product is on the shelf, but in the US, like regionally. So for example, I, I, I know in Texas, military games do better than any other any other area in the United States. Things like that. Uh, are some of the feedback that we offer back to to publishers when they're doing different things. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people may ask, like, is distribution important or what does distribution do? A lot of people sometimes, especially with the advent of crowdfunding, they look at mm -hmm. the opportunity for publishers to sell direct to consumers and they're like, well, where does distribution fit in with all this? And the reality yeah. is, A, it is very important, um, but B, here's why. So while yeah. even the most successful of Kickstarters have a great gigantic number of direct-to-consumer sales, that does not encompass the entire market. And if you look yeah. at kind of, uh, kind of tiers, so to speak, you figure, you know, some of the biggest Kickstarters have had 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 backers. Then you take the next level and you go to something like a boardgamegeek.com and they have over 2 million accounts. So if you're able as a, a publisher to get 12,000 backers, that's still only a percentage of the 2 million or so people that are connected on BoardGameGeek. And BoardGameGeek yeah. itself doesn't constitute the entire market because there's people that will no. go way outside of board game you can aren't even in that culture so the, the yeah i mean because a kick because a kickstarter is just the mar board game geek is becoming from what i'm seeing in terms of volume it it's almost a it's below probably 50 percent of what marketplace is actually really out there nowadays for yeah. the the board that is the that I, that I call the board game geek customer like that's sure that's slowly becoming a smaller percentage of the overall even though it's still growing the overall is getting significantly larger because the industry, the market is becoming more uh, mainstream and it's breaking yep. away from that mold. You know, we're seeing that with these companies that are coming out of nowhere, like Leader Games. Yep. Two, three years ago, who? Yep. Who? <laughs> you know what I mean? And now Root just dominates sales. So, and it's not because of the Board Game Geek customer base. It's this new customer that's coming out because they're reading about it on Kotaku or Polygon or any other mainstream tech or, or pop nerd culture website what or or, mar, or a magazine so and it's an interesting growth that we're seeing like yeah yeah and that's kind of where we fit in right so as a retailer in in the ecosphere at least in the united states as we're talking retailers can only manage so much and there are very few companies out there from a retail perspective that are just a board game store they're generally managing multiple lines of products, whether it's Funko Pops and toys, whether it's sports cards, whether it's comic books, role-playing games, accessories. I mean, the accessories alone usually involves a, a whole buyer at a, a retail shop, depending on how, how large they are. But board games yeah. are just kind of a piece of the puzzle of what Mike had referred to there around the geek culture and the pop culture of the world. So distribution acts as kind of a middleman for the retailers to the publishers. If I'm a retailer, even if I'm one of the largest retailers in the world, 
there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so many people I can talk to in the day. And there's only so many publishers that I can interact with directly in a day. But I'm still going to want to put as much product that is, you know, fast selling and good selling product on my shelves. So distributors kind of come in and fill that void. We're here to help meet the demands of the market. Um, as you as a publisher or a self-publisher develop a game and put it out there, there's always going to be a, a stopgap. There's going to be a point where only you can handle so much getting directly to consumers or getting directly to retailers. Yeah. And that's where distribution comes in and helps. Um, yeah, we're, an, we're, a de- we're a deliberate, uh, helpful logistic solution in terms exactly. of ev- everything. Yeah. Logistic solution for data, information, and just the physical logistics involved with it. Yep. That's really that, that's what US that's what US distribution does for you. Foreign distribution is very very different, which is something we, we don't, <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's a whole separate panel, but I think it's something we should probably quickly make a deciding like sure. this is what foreign distro does, this is what US distro does. So sure. foreign distro and it, we'll just make this real quick. Foreign distro, you know, European distributions whatnot, um they do a lot more direct to end consumer marketing because they behave a lot like publishers do in the US. They will regionalize your products and get them out there and do the marketing for you. The US, we just handle logistics solving problems because it's a huge territory of, of just, just physically it's big, but the number of stores is also just gigantic compared to other markets out there. So that's the difference. US, you're gonna get a lot, a lot, lot less direct to in consumer marketing you'll get distribution to retailer marketing and then the foreign mark foreign distros you will get a lot more in consumer marketing and a lot more help um in terms of managing your 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 game and you're more likely going to be signing it over to them as well yeah one of the myths that i always hear a lot um especially with new partners that want to come on to distribution is they they will always ask the question they're like well what can you do to help my game sell more and my answer to them is always the same not much what can you do yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day our job yeah. is to be an operational and logistics intermediary between the publisher and the retailer it's our job to make sure that the retailers understand and are aware that the product's available to them but in terms of making the game good making the game marketable and making the game in demand that's really up to the publisher themselves we can speak yeah. until we're blue in the face. Mike and I can go on all day long about how great a game is or how much we love a game or how, how much fun we've had playing a game. But at the end of the day, a retailer looks at a distributor as though, hey, it's kind of your job to tell me everything is good because you want to move boxes out of your Correct. warehouse. So, yeah. so, so our marketing advertising is just, hey, this exists. Here's all the right. information for it. Here's the dates. Here's the pricing. Go. Because right. our, our, sale, our, our sales are reactionary. For, well, most retailers are reactionary to the majority of board games that sell. That's not counting the wingspans and the gloom havens and the things that are just incredibly hot. Talking the majority of games, most retailers purchase reactionary. So it is up to the vendor or the, 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 the publisher what vendor um, to do those sales and that marketing and make sure that people, the end consumer knows about your product and knows to go into a, their FLGS to pre-order the product and show the retailer they want the demand. So the retailer then passes the demand up to us. Uh, that's just how it, that's just how it has to work. And that's another term you may hear from time to time, FLGS. I hope everyone is familiar with that, but FLGS stands for Friendly Local Game Store. It means your yeah. brick and mortar hobby store, which is really the crux of both of our company's accounts. Uh, if you look at PhD and you look at GTS, 90 plus percent, I believe, of both of our account systems are set up of brick and mortar brick stores and mortar. because there is quite a bit of brick and mortar stores still out there doing doing well, doing creative this year. So doing very well, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the market as a whole uh, has been a very interesting year this year. I could have a whole nother panel on that one. So range of emotions. Let me I tell you. That is very true. Again, go ahead. Questions make going. Fire away. OK, here's the very first one. Uh, the two of you work for different companies, as you said earlier. Uh, you seem to like each other. But uh, how friendly overall is the relationship between competing distributors? Uh, do you consider some companies rivals and some friends? So well, let me, we, let me we have our boxing let, match after this, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let, let, let me take this one real quick, Scott, just to kind of like put the really like the honest fine point on it. Yep. Uh, we go, when we go to trade shows, 
at the end of the night when we're all just when everyone's kind of like hanging out at the bar the distributors kind of always gravitate towards each other at the end of the night and when we're all tired and we're just frustrated we're letting our guard down and we're just just being completely honest with everything around us like we wind up gravitating towards each other so yeah i mean it's there's rivalry of course because we're all just financial competitors but at the end of the day we all get along pretty well because in the u.s the market is very big um yes. we're not on we're not on top of each other really uh so there's there's no fighting it out for for one account kind of thing so yeah, there's we're, always... we're very friendly there's always been these myths of, you know, people having bad experiences and there are, right. There are bad experiences sure. in every industry. I, I don't think ours is insulated to any of that. Um, but overall, yeah. If you look at the landscape, um, I, I kind of called the four horsemen as I call it between Alliance, ACD, GTS, and PhD as being the, the most that people will know. Um, there are several others in the United States as well. And all of us tend to know each other and we tend to get to know each other over shows. Uh, that's been mm -hmm. one of the biggest things we've been missing this year is actually being able to like see each other and, and say hi to each other, which has been challenging. Um, yeah. You know, we, I think one of the most important things to me is that whoever you may talk to in the industry from a distribution standpoint, um, while we do have different customer bases and we have different what I call ands, right? If you look at the ands in the industry, you have people who deal with games and role-playing games, games and accessories, games and comic books, games and toys. There's all these different things that will make up your customer bases. We all tend to have the best interest of the industry at heart. And while we do that through a lens of helping our partners the most, you know, helping our vendors that are our publishers and helping our retailers who are our buyers, we definitely have the attitude of, you know, hey, we can be competing in this market, but we can still be friends and get along with each other, which is awesome. So it's one of the things. Correct. That and like. we can still work together and make sure that in a marketplace where a lot of where a lot of growth is happening direct to end consumer, you know, it's for, for our perspective, it, it, it is a benefit sometimes for us to work directly with each other on some things um, just to kind of like, hey, this is a really cool thing. It's working out for us. You might want to look into, into doing it, knowing that, you know, maybe your personal reach is really bad in the Pacific Northwest or something, but, you know, so and so does really, really good with it. At the end of the day, as long as retailers are doing well, we're doing well. Yep. So it's in our best interest to make sure that all the avenues that are the retailers are purchasing from are also doing well, you know, because if a retailer just keeps floundering with one particular distributor that maybe isn't doing well because they're not getting extra help or assistance, it doesn't do the big picture any good. The one thing I will dispel in that myth is uh, some people look at even the biggest distributors and they think, oh, they're these gigantic companies. They can be, but a lot of times when you think about it, having four to six to 10 locations around the United States, a lot of the employees are warehouse workers and, and logistics and operational people. In terms of the actual business operations, they can be very, very small. And, and people may think to themselves, oh, well, I'm, I'm working with this company and they have a bajillion people working on my product. And the answer is really no, there's like three actually working on your product. Yeah. So that, that's another myth yeah. that's out there. But great question. Great question. So what, what other, did you say you had other questions, Mickey, as well? Yeah, there's uh, several others piling up here. Let's see. Okay, um, great. Let me scroll back up. I appreciate everybody taking the time to ask questions too. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. Here's uh, all right. So uh, Steve Segetti wants to know how do you typically give industry trend feedback to the publishers? It's not something that publishers usually hear. Sure. Uh, I've been pretty passionate about this one. So I stepped into my role on the distribution side about two years ago, and one of the very first conversations I had with a publisher was really frustrating for me because I had been a publisher. I had sat in that chair and I had sold to distribution and multiple distributors. And the first frustrating part of the conversation was he didn't know how much product that we had bought that we had actually sold. Meaning I bought a thousand. I'm just pulling a number out of the air. I bought a thousand games from you. How many did we actually sell? And he's like, I, I can't get that. I don't have that. And I'm like, well, that's like basic blocking and tackling stuff. Like we should get into that. And yeah. it was a very interesting time for me because I'm a data-driven guy. I actually, the bulk of my adult uh, business career, I've spent at Corporate America at Dell Incorporated as an executive director there. And a lot of it is data-driven. A lot of it is Excel and numbers and, and that's it. Yep. Again, the sexy side of the business. <laughs> so, I, I, when, I, come from general, I come from general dynamics. 
So yeah, exactly. Me- so you have so military contract work. work. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So one of the big things for me is I, I want to be able to provide the right information that our publishers ask for, number one, because not every publisher wants the same data. Some publishers just want basic data. Some publishers want really, really in-depth yeah. data. Um, and we try yeah. to make that as readily available as possible, right? There are guidelines and restrictions and things we have to manage and we have to make sure that we're not, you know, sharing information about retailers that they haven't given us the permission to share and things like that. Um, but in general, like when it comes to, for example, the other day, uh, just this past week and in, in Monday this week, I got hit by a publisher who wanted to become a partner of ours and they had a party game and it was a pretty generic party game. If you looked at it, you probably wouldn't think, oh, this is too phenomenal, but it's not terrible by any means whatsoever, but it's just another party game. And they were asking a lot of good questions about the party game market. What have we seen? What have we had experience with? And things like that. So when a publisher comes to us with information about, hey, we're going to make X game, it's really a benefit for us to be able to come back to them and say, hey, this is what we're seeing in that market, right? If you're making a worker placement game or you're making a deck building game or you're making a miniatures game, what are we seeing as trends in the marketplace that can give you some advantages to to making that product? So, Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's a common question. I actually, you know, we get a, I get a lot and I've gotten a lot since I've been doing the buying at PhD, which has been five, six years now, um, is I, I can't get information from distro. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, this is the first time I'm hearing about it from you because you, and you're not getting information from me because you're not asking. So that's the first step. You know, there's this, there's this stigma that, oh, you can't go talk to your distributor uh, those days don't exist any anymore. Um, and I, At least I think they, they were there. <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't. And I th- it maybe that was a common thing, but uh, no. If if you want information from your distributor, you ask. Like that's it. That's it. We're not just going to pa- constantly be giving you information passively on our own because forty five thousand SKUs. That's that's why. <laughs> we're, you know, we've we've got a we've got Literally five warehouses. Yeah, we've got warehouses stuffed with product coming in and going out. Like it's it's a very, very busy. But if you ask us for something, so for example, I was talking with the publisher last night on different, you know, how do I get some information? I'm like, well, you ask for one. And the question was like, well, I don't want to bother you. I'm like, it takes me 15 seconds to hit a button to generate an Excel sheet to send to you for what I have on hand and sold each month for through all of our warehouses for your product line. Just ask and we get you that kind of basic information. Um, you're not going to have an hour of our time every single week. Right. It's not going to, ha- it's just not going to happen. There's not enough time in the day to, to do that. Um, but what you can get is you, you can get an hour a month. Maybe you can get 10 minutes a week to get a quick mm-hmm. little conversation. Or if you're finally just getting a data dump of an Excel sheet, just ask. And we can provide, you know, generally speaking, we can provide almost everything. I can't give customer lists and sales data sure. to that microscopic level. It's it's proprietary information. Um, but yeah, don't come ask wanted... us if you're publisher X, don't say how many units did publisher Y sell of a game, because that's not a yeah. conversation we're going to have. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, you know, publishers also want to have like a login to our website to see what's going on. Sure. If I could get them access to just see their stuff. Sure. But unfortunately, yeah. a login is like it's an all or nothing thing. So right. just ask your distributor like, hey, I just knew, I just want to know. Give me a snapshot of how things are going and where we stand. And yeah. that should be very easy to provide to any vendor or publisher. And I think a lot of that comes down to the publisher's um, expectations as well. We do have some publishers, at least on my side of the business, that they will ask for monthly reporting at a regular basis. You know, mm-hmm. This is what I want to yep. see. This is how I want to see it. Things like that. Um, we have others that don't care. And, and there's, there's several that I have that could care less about what kind of reporting we're doing because they're just, they're, they're doing their own thing and living in their own bubble. And, and that's fine, right? There's, there's different strokes for different folks and some, some things will work for, for some people. I think one of the, the interesting things when I was thinking about Metatopia online and coming into this discussion, um, Metatopia historically has been on the design side of things and not really on the business side of things. And one of the questions that kind of popped into my head, thinking to myself, if I was in your shoes as a viewer right now, if I'm an artist or I'm a designer, why should I care about distribution? Like, what does that matter to me? And you may not. You may not at the end of the day care about which distributors are distributing a game that you're working on or anything like that. But it is an important piece of the puzzle to understand and know 
because if you are a designer and you're signing your game with a publisher, or if you're an artist and you're working on, on assets with a publisher, knowing how that game is going to be taken to market is a very important understanding of what are your options and opportunities within that game. If I'm a publisher and I come to Mike as a designer and say, hey, I want to design your new game, but I'm only going to do it on Kickstarter. I'm only going to make an exclusive on Kickstarter. It's not going to go anywhere else. Well, you know that you have kind of a market cap, so to speak, like we've talked about. Some of the biggest Kickstarters have been, you know, 10, 12,000 some odd people. You're probably not going to go above that area. And as a designer and a contract, if you're making, let's say, you know, anywhere from 75 cents to $1.25 on every game that's sold, well, you know, this is my ceiling probably, or this is my, my rough number. Whereas, you know, if you're working with a publisher that has distribution partnerships set up already, there's a much larger capability there, right? And neither one of those sides is right or wrong. It's just, it's good information. And I'm a big believer that having that information and knowing that kind of information helps you lead to make better decisions in your career, whether you're designer, artist, or trying to look to self-publish your own game on your own as well. So I think that's good as well. Um, Mickey, you said there were several other questions. I'm sure you have another one lined up already. I do indeed. Okay, uh, MLG Robots uh, has, this is a multi-part question. Uh, I'm going to ask the first part. I think this is the wise thing to do in this case. Okay. And then if we need to uh, clarify or tease out the question, uh, we'll go further into it. But here it is. Okay, what has the impact been of increasing wages and fluctuating shipping costs on the distributor's bottom line? Hmm. Uh, we haven't hit that yet. Uh, it's not, it's we not, haven't I, hit the I, bottom line yet, or we haven't hit. No, the, yeah. that 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 of the effect from that hasn't hit us yet. Um, I'm starting to have conversations now with vendors who are talking about raising their prices across the board. Mm -hmm. So that that want to raise their prices but don't want to raise their MSRP, which means right. our cost goes up. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the question is like, well, how does that affect distribution? Well, we just adjust our price to the customer, to our to the retailer by that percentage, and we maintain our our you know whatever our margin is for that line. So that hasn't happened yet. The end result, it's coming, and it's about to happen where we're going to see the we're going where the freight costs are now impacting. What has happened already is freight costs have gone up, but also the volume of containers has gone down drastically since COVID hit. It's gone. It's gone. It's it's picking back up. But COVID, what happened, a lot of container volume went down, meaning the container load options uh, dwindled for smaller publishers who are maybe only shipping over four or five pallets, and they can't fill a container themselves. They're having to wait longer for that container to get filled, and then they're having to wait longer for that ship to get filled with containers. So what we've been having uh, since, about, since, uh, since March has been delays in products coming out. Uh, there's something that came out a couple weeks ago that was supposed to release back in June. So it's just that's what we're feeling now is delays. Um, starting next year, we're going to see price increases going up, not across the board, but there's definitely some publishers who are doing more license work, meaning they have less margin to work with. They're not doing their own in-house design and stuff like that. They have more overhead costs. They're going to have to be raising their prices um, just like five percent or something to that effect you know minimal but that's the adjustment that they're having and like i said the impact to us is we just we just move our bar up and we maintain the same margins and typically if you if you're not aware retailers will buy most things at 50 percent off msrp so they're still like oh no i now have to sell it for 45 off msrp right which is in whatever it winds up being like a dollar less maybe and there's there's quite a bit to that in in we could probably spend two hours talking about the the infrastructure of the system right now and how COVID has impacted it. But um, I definitely concur with a lot of what Mike had just said there. You know, we we have seen a couple of publishers make some changes in pricing already this year. Um, nothing too drastic. Um, I do think that the majority of the bottom lines being hit right now are on the publishing side. Um, also on the retail side, uh, one of the biggest challenges from the retail side this year has been supply. And, and as Mike said, you know, container volume has been down. And even with that, no one was able to predict any of what happened, right? If somebody said to no. me a year ago, puzzles is going to be your fastest growing market in 2021. I would, Never. 
I would have laughed them out of the room. Like there's no yeah. way, but never. I can't keep puzzles in stock. It's like nearly impossible right now because the and demand neither is so can, high. And neither can our vendors either. Right, right. They, and al- that's they been, also can't keep things in stock. And that's been a hard part for the retail side. You know, when, when everything started in the United States with lockdown, retailers were initially tasked with, okay, how do I just keep the lights on? Like, how do I keep the door open, the lights on, and people able to buy from my, my store? Um, you know, a lot of us, uh, Mike and I talked about this several times in the past over the, the year, a lot of us kind of approached it with the attitude from distribution of how can I help? Like, what can I do? Just yeah. let me know what I can do to help you. And yep. the so, stock and has all been we, a that's very all we did. part of it. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah. there's been games that we would normally bring in, you know, half of what we brought in this year. And we've had to uptick the the volume of it so much just to kind of keep up with the demand on things. But just like everything else, just like toilet paper was out, just like paper towels were out, just like bottled water was out. Everything has top a loads were out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Top loads top, were out. <laughs> right, right, right now, uh, in terms of like things that are out for, for, for board game designers, you know, it's like top loads, little hard plastic things you put cards in. That's yep. gold right now. You can't, we can't get enough containers of that stuff because it's just certain materials have been yep. hit really hard uh, because of produ- lack of production, lack of you know raw material harvesting overseas. Um, so well, yeah, that, that's what's hit us has been supply. Supply is what hit us uh, yeah. th- this year. Um, and the price, price isn't going to affect us all that much. That's a great question, though, Mickey. So, uh, it would, yeah. did we answer the additional parts to it, or is there more Actually, to, to yes, flesh out? I'm pretty. I, I think you organically sort of answered all of the other parts of that question. So uh, we can move on to another one if you're ready. Yeah, fire yeah. away. <clears throat> okay, uh, Shibu Yank wants to know: Can and should developers engage uh, the friendly local gaming store? In addition to distributors, oh yeah, what advice do you have on this? Yes, walk, without a you doubt. walk in, you walk in that store, say, "Hey, I've made a game. What day is your game night, and can I set up and do demos that night?" That's step one, and honestly, that's kind of all you need to do to get a whole bunch of feedback for yourselves. So yeah, just walk into stores, tell them what you are, tell them what you want to do, and more often than not, if they've got, if they already have a board game night, they're going to be super happy to have you there. And having some kind of event because they know you are also going to be marketing. Hey, I'm going to be in this store this yep. time. Come see me. So it's symbiotic how that that works out. I've also been approached by retailers who have told me, hey, I have a customer or I have someone as a patron of my store who's made this mm-hmm. game. They're not pitching it to me as though, hey, you as a distributor need to buy this game and make this game. They're pitching it to me along the lines of they have this great game. It's done very well in my store. Maybe you know yeah. a publisher that would want to pick this game up. So yeah. definitely, it it is a very big symbiotic ecosphere. So so yeah. it does. It's a little challenging now, obviously, because there may not be a board game night at your store, depending on where you are. There yeah. there may not be activities happening there. Um, but one of the nice things is just like we're right here talking on you know uh, Discord and Twitch. Discord. There's Discord. a lot of yeah. options that retailers. I talked to a retailer last week who he had set up an online Magic the Gathering video system where people can play one person in the store and one person at home, and they have a camera on their cards and they're able to huh. interact with each other. I mean, there, there's been some really amazing things happening that are creative stuff from uh, both technological use and physical use in stores. So yes, I would say definitely engage your local store owners, get to, to you know meet them and, and, and know what is good in their store and how you can help in their store. Yeah. Well, I think we may have answered that on the, the first step, smaller level, right? Yeah, That's for the sure. Go go into the store groundwork kind of thing. Grassroots. To the other part, the other like bigger answer to that question. Once you're established, and you've got your game out there, and you are already into distribution. Blah blah blah. Um, should you talk to retailers? Yes, you should. You definitely should make sure that you're sending out retailer newsletters. Get involved in any retailer groups that you can be involved with in, in social media sites. Um, definitely put your put your best foot forward. You don't need to, you know, beat their door down or anything and do hard salesman t- kind of tactics, but you definitely make sure that you need to have a communication stream with the retail market out there once you've already established yourself with distributors as well. So that's the that's the the final step, I guess, the more end step of 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 the designer publisher side of things. Sure. Great question though. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh moving on. Let's see. <clears throat> Steve has a question. Uh you mentioned earlier it's not the distributor's role to promote games. 
Can you talk about what methods uh, your companies offer to pass marketing through to retailers like videos, magazines, sell sheets, etc.? Yeah. We have an agent of black market agents running around in cloak and dagger. No, <laughs> no. it's just uh, like Wayne's World. You open up a door and there's ninja marketing ninjas training. That's right what it there. Is. Yeah, no, we, um, you know, o- overall, uh, it's not that we don't market the game. We do market the game. It's just there's a different type of marketing. So when you look at the way we approach it, it's much more of an awareness marketing level. Like Mike had mentioned earlier, we want to be able to provide the information, the operations, the logistics. We want to make sure that when a consumer walks into a friendly local game store to pre-order your game or ask if they have a copy of the game, that retailer knows I can get this from PhD or I can get this from GTS. I can get this from my distributor because I know I've seen it. Um, It's a lot of the kind of usual suspects, I would say, in most cases. Um, There are many distributors that have a a in-print magazine, things like that, that they'll hand out to retailers and have in their stores. Um, I know also on the GTS side, we're much more into the digital side of things. We do a lot more on Facebook and a lot more through email. Um, There's been a lot more, just over the last maybe two or three years, a lot more attention from the retailers to Facebook. Um, and private Facebook groups. Uh, I've seen a lot of you know publishers developing their own retailer Facebook groups and things like that. Um, there are some Facebook groups just for distributors and publishers to talk and things like that. Um, but for the most part, we kind of approach it as an awareness thing. We want to make sure that you know, hey, we support this game. We support this publisher. We're going to have it. We're going to have it in stock. And here's where. Um, that's another big piece of it is the location piece of it. Um, you know, Mike yeah. with PhD has several locations. We have several locations. Um, so you may be a retailer kind of in between two locations that are, are closest, quote unquote, closest to you. Uh, so you may be juggling where you're buying your product from. So we want to make sure that they know where to get it. But a lot of it is kind of what I call blocking and tackling marketing, um, whereas the marketing from the publisher side wants to be a lot more consumer focused and a lot more consumer driven. You want to make sure that they understand how to play the game. What are the top things as to why I would want this more game? hype? Much more hype. Yeah, Yeah, it's a very good way to say it. I've had retailers tell me, I don't need to know how to play the game. All I need are three things. I need to know, you know, three bullet points as to why I should have this game on my shelf. And I can then use that to sell the game to consumers. They they don't need to know that, you know, this is the round structure and this is the mechanics behind it. They may want to know the basic mechanics. Hey, it's a deck building game. Hey, it's a worker placement game, things like that. Right. But just the the basic type of things, they don't necessarily need to, to dig too deep into it. Although transparently, there are some retailers that will dig in very deep. So. Correct. Yeah. And on, and on weird things too. <laughs> I had someone at Gamma a couple years ago come up to me like, why didn't you stock X amount in this, this game, you know, 17 cases in the Jersey warehouse, blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at it and I, for the life of me, I couldn't even remember the game. I mean, at all, <laughs> at all. We, and I went back to the history after I got back up to my room and I yeah. looked at it. I'm like, we sold like seven copies of this thing. What's this guy talking about? So they get, they, some of them get invested. They get passionate about one particular thing. And that's great. And that's something that retailers do have the opportunity to do. They can focus on one or two things that maybe nobody else really is focusing on, and they can make it huge in their store. Um, You know, at at my shop, uh, we were mostly a, uh, my most recent store, we're mostly a miniature store selling mostly War Machine and Hordes. And for the, the weirdest thing, like, but it was a bunch of just bros hanging out, rolling dice and blah, blah, blah. This game came out called Kittens in a Blender, and we got obsessed with that game. And my little store that we barely, I mean, we, we're not open anymore, so I mean, that tells you how much our volume was. Um, I was going through like three to four cases of that game a week in my little shop. So it's because we got excited about it. So that's where stores can do like actual marketing and stuff. Distributors, and that's where I get, I get frustrated. Because I want to do that again. And that's my knee-jerk reaction when we get a cool project. Is I want to make it a project and do this cool thing. But we can't. We can't really do that. Because again, like I said, our sales are react. Our retailers coming to us is more reactionary than anything. So for your question of, you know, why don't we, or do we not promote things? To give an, a specific example of something that we don't do. Like we won't go to ICV2 or BGG uh, and pay for ad space. For a particular game we won't do that kind of marketing if you go to either of our websites you can see the type of marketing that we are doing there which is really just hey this exists this is the back of the box paragraph kind of thing here's the price here's the date and here's some images for you to use for yourself kind of thing it's more of an awareness marketing that that, that we do here in the u.s for distro 
the way that I describe it to a lot of our publishing partners is it's up to you to build the hype. It's up to you to make the product and it's up to you to make the game good. It's up to us to augment that. So we're not in the business of changing information. We're not in the business of releasing early information. Like for us, the whole goal is to use your marketing engine from a consumer standpoint and augment that to the retailer so that the retailer is aware, so that the retailer knows, A, how good the product is and if it's in demand, and B, if it's available and that they can get it from us. That, that's the most important thing. Any other questions, Mickey? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, Melissa has a question. Uh, thinking of the intense volume <clears throat> increase of indie board game publishers in the U.S., what rough percentage of products do you pull in that are from new game companies versus new products from established companies? Oh, that's a great mm. question. Um, I get hit every week, every week, probably seven to 12 times a week from someone saying, I just had a successful Kickstarter. I'd like you to distribute my games and I have 700 games left. Uh, it's, mm. it's almost like it's a form letter sometimes <laughs> in terms of, you know, just insert different numbers and different names. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a big challenging thing right now. The advent of, uh, any type of online platform, whether it's Indiegogo, whether it's now GameFound, whether it's, you know, Kickstarter, Mike and I could start our own game right now and put it on Kickstarter and be quote unquote publishers and be ready to go in the next half hour. They may not be very good, but we, we can do it in the next half hour. Um, it's been an interesting challenge for us because a lot of those smaller companies don't have the operational capabilities as the larger companies do. Um, like Mike was talking about earlier before, where a lot of this year has seen smaller publishers run into situations where they may only be shipping two pallets or three pallets of their game to the United States to, to get to retailers or to get to backers. They have to sit there and wait now, waiting for containers to fill up because they're not going to spend $1,800, $2,000 to ship a pallet by itself. It, it's just way yeah. not cost effective at all. Um, so the problem and the challenge with that that we have to then weed out from the distribution side is, okay, A, what is the actual demand for the game, right? We'll look at a Kickstarter or we'll look at a, a crowdfunding program. And the way I approach it is not so much by dollars because dollars are they're they're completely subjective you know what what defines success from a dollar standpoint for us it's the numbers it's it's the number of backers if i see a project that only has maybe 500 or 600 backers versus a project that has 2000 or 3000 backers there's a definitive difference there in terms of the awareness of the general public that consumes mm -hmm. games on that type of platform which then translates into a retail presence as well um I would say for the most part, I, I always tell everyone this, we're not actively looking for new publishers, but we're always on the hunt. We're always available to talk to and, and see and research things. Um, I yeah. would say from my standpoint, from GTS's standpoint, we definitely do lean much more on the people that we have partnerships with already and, and help to develop out their lines um, than bringing in new partners. It doesn't mean that it's impossible by any means whatsoever to get into distribution in that sense, being a new publisher or being a new developer. Um, it just means that it's best to come to that discussion with a lot of those questions in mind already, right? I think back to the days of Napster and, and people downloading music. I remember reading this article about this band that walked into Geffen Records, had been completely unheard of and no one knew of them beforehand and walked in and dropped down a piece of paper saying, we've been downloaded over a million times in the last 24 hours. We would like a record contract. And they did. Huh. They turned around and gave them a record contract. It was amazing. And that same type of thing can happen in the distribution side, right? Somebody comes to us and says, oh, we've had a successful Kickstarter and we have 700 units we want to sell. Okay, that's a discussion that you know may or may not be able to be had. If someone comes to us and says, I just had a Kickstarter, it had this many backers, we're expecting this many to be shipped. These are the timeframes that we're going to be bringing in our containers. Having a lot more of the business and the operational savvy to be able to have those uh, kind of questions answered on the upfront definitely leads to a much better outcome, I think, on the backside. Yeah. Yeah. To, to the to the specific question of percentage kind of thing of like what your indie, like how much our indie guys are, that's hard to answer because technically Stonemeyer Games is an indie publisher <laughs> and like they do a good amount of volume. Right. Leader Games, like I mentioned earlier, is an indie publisher. So it, it's a hard thing. But to what your mind was thinking, right, like I'm the guy that's got, you know, three or four hundred copies left over. Um, and I want to go to distro when you go to a distributor and you're like, Hey, I've made, I had the successful Kickstarter. I sold to 1200 people, blah, blah, blah. And I made this much money. I have 200 copies left over. 
I don't want that just yep. bluntly, um, especially this year. And, and I'll tell, and the reason why is 200 copies isn't, is not enough. Uh, this year in particular, above absolutely everything, availability has been king. It doesn't matter how good or bad your stuff is. As long as it's available, it's been king. Stores just wanted to be able to get stuff. Um, so if you just have 200 copies left over and you don't have a print run already going for me to fill that in, 200 copies, I, I can't sell to two stores sometimes, right? Like if it's, if, if it's, a, if it's got enough demand, well, I'm not even going to sell it to two different stores because someone's going to come up. One big guy's right. going to come in and just gobble it all up. Which, whatever, for my, for my um, usual problems of making sure we get through sell-through, it's great. But I'd but like to be able to keep selling it. I'd like to be able to keep growing. I'd like to keep that, that tail sales going. So I'm not necessarily interested in buying up inventory that's just going to sell and go away and I don't have to deal with it. Because then I've got my admin team wondering, like, well, why the hell did we – or why did we even set this vendor up? Why did we spend all this time doing this? Blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's, it's just not worth it. So I want to partner with people who have, they want to grow. They want to have another print run. They want to keep this thing going. So if you just have to have 200 copies left over and then you're done, I don't, I don't think there's any distributor that's probably going to want to talk to you about it. Like there's plenty of avenues for you to do that on your own and you're going to make more margin that way anyways. So 200 copies is anywhere from like thousand or less. That, that's, I was gonna easy. Say, that's easy to get rid of. Yeah. Thousand or less is kind of the cutoff. And and if you think about it, you know, kind of past the distribution level of things and, and into what Mike was talking about, if if there are and there are retailers who can consume 100, 200 copies of a game, no problem whatsoever. And brick and mortar retailers mm -hmm. that can do that as well. If you have yeah. the right retailer that gets behind the right product, they could they could eat up quite a bit amount of inventory. And what's in a blender? Yeah, it, it happens I to mean, be this kind of snowball mechanism so if we brought in 200 copies of a game and then sold through all that let's say just even in the first 30 days let's 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 say it's super hot it sells through in a week that's great but it sells through in the first 30 days the next thing that happens is okay how do we restock that and if you as a publisher or as a self-publisher yeah. don't have a supply chain meaning I did my print run. I got my 3,000 units in. I delivered them to backers. I had 300 left and I sold those to Mike or I sold those to Scott. They've now sold out of them. How do I get them more? Well, the obvious answer is you have to have another print run. But did you have another print run ready? Is there one in motion? Because even if I push the button right now, if I was a publisher and I told my, my manufacturer in China or Vietnam or Germany and I said, hey, go, let, like, let's go print 5,000 of these, it's going to take at least six to eight weeks. And that's pre-COVID and pre any delays on anything. Um, and yeah. then on top of that, you have shipping times. You have you know anywhere between 30 to 60 days to get something, depending on who your shipper is and what ports things are going to come in and out of. And Dock have, worker strikes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those, I mean there's always be one thing every year, whether it's, you know, import taxes or dock strikes or companies going bankrupt. There's always something like that that affects the operation side of things. But that's, yeah. it's an important thing to know, because if we were to bring in 200 copies of a game and sell through those, the retailers that bought them, that did well with them, they're going to want them again. Want them again. And they're going to stock them again. But if the answer yeah. is, I'm sorry, we're waiting for it and it may take six months or it may take mm -hmm. seven months most retailers are going to move on to the next thing at that point. And from my standpoint, that's part of my role. My, my role is I want to make sure that the products that we bring in are available and successful for the retailers, because at the end of the day, we're not warehouses. The retailers are not warehouses. We're a distributor and they're a retailer. It's not about boxes sitting on shelves. It's about boxes moving out. I've always Flip, said, them. Yeah. I've always said, I have a friend of mine who's in a completely different industry, like a, it's it's a bizarre situation. I have a friend of mine who's a professional wrestler and he is in a completely different industry and he has a toy of himself, like an action figure of himself that's out there in the marketplace right now. And it's funny because he's been hunting for one and he's been trying to find one and he hasn't been able to find it. And he's been so frustrated. He's been like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, I know it's out there. I know it exists, but I can't find it. And I'm like, that's great. Like, why are you upset about that? Like, look, <laughs> past the excitement of you have an action figure and that's like something like, you know, 1% of the world has of themselves, which is awesome. The reality is that means it's selling out. And I've always laughed about that. Like from a designer perspective or a developer perspective. 100% sell through is what we strive for. That's what I want. 100% sell through. 
boxes sitting on a shelf. I want to see five boxes going through the cash register, but, right? That that's but I want exciting. One hundred percent to go through, but if it, I want it to come back and then do it again right. and then do it again and then do it again. Beautiful. So we have we have we have six minutes left here, Scott. Yep. I'm trying to open up my tablet for our notes and I can't because I'm oh there we go. I don't think there's anything here that we have we have to talk about that we haven't already on our notes. No, a lot of so the questions can, we, have actually so we can, gone through. And yeah, so we can continue with, with questions here. I just yeah. wanted to put the, t the time out there on that and yep. make sure that we, we agree. I think we've covered everything on our list of things that we had to talk about. Yep. So I think from here on out, Mickey, you're welcome to ask question after question as we go. Okay, well, uh, we've got one more question, I think, then, uh, then we can do the wrap-up. Um, uh, the question is, uh, what Make it a good one. do consolidators <laughs> have in the contemporary Ooh. distribution market? Have Ooh. you seen increases or decreases in the use of consolidators? So consolidators. Um, Probably good to define are, that before we get into it. <laughs> yeah. So a consolidator is a company who services a grouping of publishers, typically moda, made up of smaller publishers who can't necessarily afford their own warehousing or shipping staff or whatever. They do take a percentage to do this. They do ha also handle your sales for you. So they'll handle marketing and they'll handle some marketing for you and stuff. But um, from a perspective as, the, as a buyer, um, this dovetails kind of into the indie publisher question of like, well, how many do you carry? Which really is just a question of like, how do I get an indie publisher into a distribution? Or will you even in, in, in do it? Yes, through the consolidators without a doubt. It makes yeah. it very easy, um, you know. With, with impressions, for example, uh, we order from I order from impressions at least once a week, and I don't have to order case quantities. So that means if I just wanted to keep two of something in a warehouse, I can just keep two of something in a warehouse. Whenever I sell one, I order another, just one, which makes it great. And you may think, well, that's just two copies. Why would I want that? Like, I order from them every single week. It gives me a great advantage to not have to absorb that inventory risk by having to order a case. Generally with indie publishers, they don't, if their games are, their games typically tend to be small, which means the case counts get up between like 12 and 24. And per warehouse, sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do over company, obviously, but I can't easily take a case and split it up. So consolidators offer a very unique, very, very, very helpful service uh, to distribution to be able to handle all these different vendors and smaller vendors as well. So you don't have to communicate with us and we don't have to communicate with all of you directly. We go to one place. It's, it solves just like distribution. It solves a lot of the logistics issues that come up with the day-to-day -day side of things. So I, I love consolidators and, and making that, making that stuff accessible, uh, very, very accessible. So I, I have a love-hate relationship with it, actually. I'm on a, on a little different side of the fence of that. Oh. I, um, I, I do love the, the consolidators, and I agree with Mike that there is a, a, a niche that is uh, or a hole in the industry that gets filled by them. Um, if I was a you know, budding publisher and I only had that 200, 300, 400 units, I would definitely start talking with a consolidator before I started talking with a distributor because I have the viewpoint that the consolidators are kind of distributors two distributors. So yeah. like Mike said, we're able to buy one or two copies, which may not seem important. But again, when you go back to those grassroots efforts of things, um, availability you, is king, right? Just, availability is very important. Yeah. Even prior to COVID, it's very important. But even yeah. now more so than ever, if I have a store who is in Oregon, and they do really, really well with a, a game, whatever it may be, and they can't get it at distribution, but an impressions or a hit point sales or someone like that has that game available, we can buy it based on the demand from that one region or that one store and stock it in that area for that retailer, which is very important because that starts to A, solve their problems from a local perspective, but it also gives the opportunity to start to bleed out from there. You know, Once suddenly something starts doing well in Portland, well, maybe it starts to creep into Seattle or maybe it starts to keep creep into Northern California. And regionality like that is pretty important. But the reality is to be able to sustain regionality like that at a distribution level, that's where the consolidators kind of come in and fill that gap for us. Great question, though. That's, that's someone who is very informed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I think you can say that. Um, okay. So we've got just about a minute left. Uh, 
Do you have final thoughts? Do you want to uh, let everybody know where you can be reached if you want to be reachable? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, just kind of wrap everything up, and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll we'll be done. Sure thing, Mike. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know if they if, yeah. they if you want to be contacted and where they can contact you. So so yes, I want to be contacted uh, with a little asterisk. Have very have a lot of patience. I get. I, I met like 2000 emails this morning already. Granted, it's a lot of tracking numbers, but still uh, have some patience. Uh, you can reach me at Mike P at phdgames.com. You can also send our Facebook page a message. You can send an email through our website. Those all come to me as well. So, I mean, anything that's PhD or PhD hobby distribution, if you send an email and say, hey, I want to talk to Mike, you'll be able to get, get, get to me eventually that avenue. Um, so, yeah, that's the way you get a hold of me. It's pretty easy. Pretty similar with me. Mine's just S Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, at gtsdistribution.com. Uh, same thing. We have a GTS Facebook page you can send messages to. You can go to gtsdistribution.com. Be helpful to, to know anything, you know, any kind of questions you have, happy to answer. Um, I hope it's been helpful. I hope this has uh, helped giving everybody kind of a different view into maybe a piece of the business that you don't normally get engaged with or don't normally have an opportunity to ask questions to. Um, I really want to say thank you to all the people that took the time to ask questions. They were great questions. Uh, I want to say thank yep. you to Mike, my partner in crime and co-host. He has much better hair yeah. than I do, but uh, it's all good. <laughs> and thank you very much to the Metatopia and the Double Exposure team. I think you guys did a great yeah. job with this and I really appreciate the platform. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you. This was a very good panel, and I think it's been very well received by the people who are sitting here watching it. So uh, appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Um, that's it. Uh, have a great uh, rest of your Metatopia, everyone. Yep. Have a good day, guys. See you later.